Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. I'm not oblivious to the fact that there are people who have many different um, takes on Scripture. What I will say is this, that there's only one truth. There's only one truth. You can't, you can't say that the Bible means one thing to you and it means another thing to you. So what we all try to do is, with the help of the Holy Spirit, read it and cut out all of our preconceived notions or ideas uh, or, or um, you know, what the Bible would call um, um, these speculations that we, that we often do. And instead, let, let Scripture harmonize with itself and bring us to a closer, better understanding of Scripture as a whole. So that's what I've tried to do. One of the main mistakes people make is they interpret Scripture based upon the time in which they live, okay? And, and so you, you see the world in the reality in which you live, and you can't imagine it being another way. You can't imagine what life was like for Adam and Eve in the garden. You can't imagine what life was like during the time before the flood, after the fall and before the flood. You can't imagine what life was like directly after the flood and around the time of the Tower of Babel when God confounded speech and spread humankind out. We can't imagine those realities, and so it's hard for us to truly understand that. We also cannot imagine that after this period of time, the reality that we live in today, there's going to be another period of time for a thousand years in which reality on this earth will be completely and totally different than it is today, okay? We understand the world as we know it right now. But the thousand-year reign of Christ is something that was prophesied about and something that will be fulfilled, and it's completely different. And we simply cannot imagine the eternal state when all things are made new, when death is gone and evil is vanquished forever. That's impossible for us to really grab a hold of. All we can do is just believe what the Bible says. We just believe God. And that's, that's where I found myself, is just believe God. Believe what the Bible says. And the more you study Scripture the more you come to an understanding of what I believe God intended the church to believe. But understand, first and foremost, that just because you live in a reality right now, you should not dismiss the fact that there has been other realities in the past and there will be other realities in the future of which we're going to be part of. You're going to have glorified bodies in the future. After you die, you receive your glorified body. You will be perfected as he is. Amen. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for the glorified body. It's not going to look anything like this, okay? Um, and uh, we're going to trade up. And the Bible says that when we see him, we shall be as he is. We're going to be perfected the way he was when he was resurrected. And more than likely, we're going to have more of a glorified body like he, the way he looked when he uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, okay? This just incredible new existence that we're going to experience in the presence of God. So those are the things that we need to understand. So don't, don't get so tied to the reality that you know now, because that leads to error. That's what happened in the fifth century. They started looking around them saying, well, goodness, we must be in the kingdom right now. And here we see the church veer off into this whole new type of eschatology, this whole new belief system in end times, uh, all because they thought they were in the kingdom then. And so we'll cover all of that uh, in the next few weeks. But today I've been very excited about 
the content. I'm praying that I will do this in such a way that it's not going to blow your face off and you're going to walk away like, what in the world did he just say? Okay, so the notes will be up here pretty much. I've even drawn some pictures. That's the kind of thing I like. Be, speak slowly, use little tiny words, th- no more than three letters, and draw pictures. That's the way I understand, okay? So I'm going to try to do that for you guys today. Just a slight bit of review. We left off with Justin Martyr's beliefs last week, um, and uh, and kind of, he was a second century uh, theologian, if you will, and uh, and he was just two degrees away from John the Revelator, the, you know, the, the apostle who wrote the book of Revelation. He believed that the kingdom in its fullness is yet to come. Uh, he believed that only some of the Old Testament applies to Gentile believers, that the majority of the prophecies and all of that belong to Israel. The Old Testament is a literal book in which the literal meanings still speak about unfulfilled prophecies yet to come in the future. Justin Martyr's position was the position of the early church until St. Augustine in the 5th century and arguably is the position of the New Testament itself. And I realize that those are bold claims, as I said last week, but I'm going to share with you today several passages in the New Testament, uh, both from Paul, from Peter, from Jesus himself, and you're going to see how they correlate together. All right? So let's ask the question, what is the New Testament eschatological hermeneutic? What is the way we view Scripture and interpret Scripture based in the New Testament as it as it uh, relates to end-time prophecy, okay? How does the New Testament look at the future? Are Old Testament prophecies shadows that are fulfilled in the current age? So did the church uh, find the realization, the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies about the millennium? Because that's, that's what many, many people believe, is that the church fulfilled those. Is that, in fact, the truth? Are some Old Testament prophecies genuinely unfulfilled until Christ returns, a second coming, okay? So let's start in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to say it again, Acts 1, 9 through 11, just to give you guys a chance, those who like to turn there, starting in verse 9. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Verse 10, and as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, you understand? Pretty simplistic, pretty easy to understand. Jesus is ascending up into the sky and they're watching him go. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. So they were physically watching Jesus ascend or fly up into the clouds. I know that's difficult in your mindset right now to understand a human being flying, okay, and and ascending. But he's not just a human being. He's God, okay? Uh, And then the two angels showed up, and this was all a supernatural. It transcended the natural, okay? You live in a natural world. When something transcends the natural, it is supernatural. This was a supernatural act still witnessed by the human eye. It was literal and not spiritual. And what did the angels say? Verse 11, They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, so where did he go? Into heaven, all right, will come, here's the clincher, in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven, all right? So they watched him leave with their own eyes, and God's word says, every eye will see him return in the exact same way the angel said that he left. Okay? 
The exact same way you watch him lead. And so if we take the angels and Scripture at its very word, has that happened yet? Has Christ returned to where every eye saw him return in the clouds and set his feet on the earth the same way that he ascended? Absolutely not. It hasn't happened yet. So, simple question. Based on the passage we just read, I'm going to ask some simple questions today just just to get you in the right mindset. Where is Christ today? According to this passage, it says, This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven. All right? We're going to see other passages that say the same thing. That once he ascended... He went to sit at the right hand of the Father. That is where he is today. He remains there until dot, dot, dot. Okay, so he's in heaven. Now let's pick up with the account of Peter speaking to the people of Israel in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, again, this is taking place after the resurrection. It's taking place after Jesus' ascension, which we just read about when he ascended into heaven when Jesus went to sit at the right hand of the Father. And here's what Peter says, speaking to the Jewish people and the Jewish leaders. He says in verse 17. So this is Acts 3, 17. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets... So he's laying a foundation. He's saying all the things that the prophets talked about in the Old Testament was about to come true, okay? And there were certain things that actually came true. So he says, you acted in ignorance, and your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand from the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. He's not saying that all the things that were prophesied were fulfilled. He said that Christ would suffer, that he's coming, right, as the suffering servant, as the sacrificial lamb. Verse 19, therefore, he's talking to Israel, remember, Okay? Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from ancient times. So again, he's saying there was this time of refreshing that was prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament, that it's a future thing that's coming. But at this point in time, when he's preaching this sermon, he's saying Christ has ascended and you need to repent so that he can return for the times of refreshing so that the fullness of what the prophets talked about could be realized. Y'all following me? Okay. Uh, More simple questions. What happens when the Jews repent and return? What did that passage just say? First, Jesus returns. Once they repent, Jesus returns, and Israel's sins are wiped away. Second, the time of refreshing, the beginning of the restoration of all things, will come from the presence of the Lord. It is a result of Christ's return that the times of refreshing comes. Do you understand? Third, the culmination of the finality of the restoration of all things, or what some people refer to as the consummation, uh, that that is going to take place at the end of the times of refreshing. So the times of refreshing is this uh, in parentheses. It starts with his return. It ends with all things being made new. Do you understand? And you're going to see that theme throughout all of these passages that we read here. Okay, Christ is returning. 
and His presence will be on the earth again in physical fashion. When He returns again, it starts with what will be known as the times of refreshing, a period of a thousand years called the restoration of all things. It's this, this period of restoration that starts with the, the, it, the, this regeneration, okay? But it's because of the presence of the Lord that this takes place. If we look at the uh, times of refreshing, that word times means appointed time. And uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the, the Greek word there, but I wanted you to be able to look at that. Uh, and it means a refreshing, a refreshment from uh, an apsuko, a recovery of breath a revival specifically to Israel. That's what he's saying in this moment. It's a, it's a recovery of breath, a rejuvenation, like them catching their breath, returning to something that they should have been in the first place, okay? So in chronological order, okay, because of the return of the presence of the Lord, there is to be a recovery. This is the refreshing of what Eden was like in the beginning, spoken of by the prophets. Remember, we learned that in the beginning, heaven and earth were colliding in Eden. And their job at that time, what God commissioned Adam to do, was to be fruitful and multiply and spread that across the whole globe. Well, Adam failed, right? So what we're seeing here is the finality is Christ himself coming back as the second Adam, picking up the mantle that Adam failed at, and for 1,000 years doing exactly what God commissioned the first Adam to do in the first place. Do you understand? So he has to do it as a man, in the office of a man, to fulfill what Adam messed up in the garden. All right? So, again, the times of refreshing concerns Israel's ministry to the Gentiles of the earth during that period of time. So all the prophecies concern the Israel being used during that time to spread the gospel of the kingdom. And they will grab, people will take them by the arm and they will say, take me to the city where, where the Lord dwells. We want to go see him. So physically they are going to take people to see Jesus who will be ruling and reigning from Jerusalem in that millennial reign, okay? So again, a different context, a, a different time period, a whole different reality than what you and I understand right now. And again, he mentions the Hebrew prophets. Their continual theme for the future Israel is that God will restore them to a place of holiness, righteousness, and worldwide dominion. That through Israel, all the nations would be blessed. That this would be the, the uh, secured promise that God made to Abraham. Not just of seed, but of seed, of land, and of blessing. They would have seed, they would have their land, the Holy Land, and that they would bless all the nations of the earth through Israel. And they're going to do that when Christ sits on the throne. And from the throne, He is going to uh, spread the gospel of the kingdom around the world at that time. So what you have to do is kind of learn to separate the gospel of grace and the period of time for the body of Christ, right, from... God's plan for Israel. There's two different tracks. God's plan for Israel, God's plan for the church, but the salvation comes for both through the shed blood of Christ Jesus. That that's, remains the same. Israel doesn't have another form of salvation. It's always through Christ. Okay? All right, let's keep going. I can't get too, too 
I can't veer off too far. I'll, I'll preach way too long today. So they share the gospel of the kingdom with Gentiles all over the earth as Christ reigns from Jerusalem. And in the notes, I put some uh, passages that you can read there and, and follow that. Then, this is followed by the promise of a return to the reality of the eternal state as before the beginning a time outside of space and time. When Jesus said, he prayed the prayer, Father, glorify me. Before Christ was crucified, he said, Father, glorify me as as I was before the beginning. He was saying there was a period of existence, you can't say time because it was before time, outside of space and time. There was a period before the beginning that Christ existed in all his glory with the Father and Christ himself prayed to be glorified, to be glorified once again as he was before the beginning, all right? And it is my opinion that the third heaven is where God resides, the transcendent Father resides outside of space and time. And, and that's why we see these, these passages that kind of mess with your head that say like he was crucified before the foundations of the earth. Like before all things began, this was already a done deal. Like you've got a God who declares the end from the beginning because only God can do that. And that's when it starts messing with your your little noggin, right? Because you're dealing with space and time and that's a hard thing to follow. All right, So, um, so again, the eternal state was before evil existed. Evil, the rebellion happened in the garden. And, and that is what the millennium is going to reflect, was Eden. But what the eternal state will be is a return back to the eternal state before time began. Are y'all following me? Yes, no, maybe? Okay, all right. <laughs> Some of you look are drooling out there, like I'm not sure what's going on, but um, let's hope it's a good thing. All right. So this is the promise of revelation, okay, when, when he's talking about restoring things back. When he says, evil is vanquished, the last enemy, death, is destroyed, and behold, I make all things new. So let's look at what this word restoration means. Again, it is apokatastasios, apokatastasios, all right. So, and what this means is restitution, a reestablishment, restoration, uh, or reconstitution. Do you understand that it's returning to a, a way that it formerly was? That's really important to understand. In both of these words, actually, there are three words that he uses in the times of refreshing, in the restoration, and then later we see the regeneration. They're all referring to a return to the way things once were. Returning to something to an earlier ideal condition. Simple question. How long will Jesus be in heaven at the right hand of the Father? It will be until the time for the restoring of all things that the prophets spoke about. So this is important to understand. So what is the meaning of until? Right? We're going to be in this room until service is over and we pack up and leave. So once that's done, it's a, different, it's a whole different thing, right? So it's saying here that until is an appointed time. And the passage designates two things ending paired with two things beginning. Number one, the end of Christ being in heaven and the beginning of Christ's return to earth. So he's sitting at the right hand of the Father until... Israel repents, and then he returns to earth, okay, in, in so doing. The, and then number two, the end of the world in its non-restored state and the beginning, 
as the prophets foretold, in the beginning of a world in which the Hebrew prophets' visions then become a reality, ending with the revelation promise of all things being made new. Are you all following me here still? Okay, yeah, if you just nod your head, then I'll, I'll uh, feel like you're at least picking up some of it. So here's what's important to understand. Peter, as an authoritative and apostolic interpreter of Scripture, is, is writing this, quoting this. He's stating that the prophecies written about in the Old Testament are unfulfilled as long as Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. They cannot be fulfilled until Christ leaves heaven and comes back to earth. Is that, is that simple enough for everybody? Okay, it can't be fulfilled, everybody but Aaron, okay? It can't be fulfilled until Christ leaves sitting at the right hand of the Father, until He comes from heaven. So what are the implications of this passage uh, when speaking of the Hebrew prophets? Number one, we have to reject reading the Old Testament prophecy as being completely fulfilled in the first coming. That's impossible. If we're taking the Scripture for what it says, then all prophecies cannot have been fulfilled, all right? You and I didn't see Christ return yet, have we? Every eye hasn't seen Him. Have we seen all of the things happen in Revelation that says they're supposed to happen? An earthquake like you've never seen before. The Antichrist, all that stuff, all right? Clearly it has not. Number two, we must view the Old Testament as containing unfulfilled visions of the future. Visions that one day Israel will be returned to world prominence as the world is restored to a formal, former glory because of Christ's presence on the earth and His ministry through Israel, okay? Number three, based on this passage, we must not call the expectation of literal fulfillment of those prophetic visions as returning to shadows, which is what often the accusation is. Well, you're just returning to the shadows of the Old Testament. Those weren't real. Those were just shadows of what the church are fulfilling now. Well, clearly the church is not fulfilling all of these things, okay? Um, and so rather than calling it returning to shadows, it's a, an apocatastasios restoration, a return to the former things, to its former glory. And number four, Jesus was not averse to a literal fulfillment of the prophet's vision. Like he didn't shoot them down. He didn't tell them, oh no, you're wrong about all of that. He actually knew that he was going to bring this about, that he would make it a reality. And there are other passages affirming the literal future restoration, as in Acts 1, 6 through 7. Acts 1, 6 through 7. Acts 1, 6 through 7. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Okay? Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So let me just say this. There's an overall belief in the body of Christ today that if the church does what the church is supposed to do, that if we, are, if we bring heaven to earth, that, that eventually the earth will become better and better and better as we infiltrate the schools and we infiltrate government and we infiltrate all of these different things that the church itself can bring this wicked world up into a level that Jesus will say, you know what, they did a great job, I think I'll return now. That's what they're saying. But what does Scripture tell us? The Father has fixed it by His own authority. The day is set. He knows exactly when it's going to be. 
And you, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. It's not for you to know. And that's what he was telling his, his, his apostles there. But look at what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, hey guys, you've got this all wrong. There's not, there's not going to be a kingdom restoration for Israel. That's not what he said. He didn't shoot them down. He didn't say, you guys are idiots and you've got it all wrong. He didn't even change the premise. He just said, hey, my father knows that day and it's not for you to know that day. That's all he said. So Jesus agreed with the premise. He explained that there was a, an appointed time and season. Okay, and guys, apostles, this simply is not the time. This is not the season. As a matter of fact, um, you're not supposed to know that. Okay, Peter told us it wouldn't happen until after what? What we already read, until Israel repents. That when Israel repents fully, right, then Christ will return. And that's, that's the, the linchpin in the whole uh, plan, okay, is that Israel must repent first, okay? They knew the premise. The apostles were asking questions about the regeneration or the restoration, and it was common knowledge, and they wanted to know exactly when God was going to restore Israel to its former glory. Are you all picking up on all that? Okay, so it was a common knowledge thing. Um. And so he said to them, this is not the time, but here's what you need to know, guys, apostles. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and over all the world, okay? And again, these are the guys who wrote the scripture that we hold in our hands. So yes, they were witnesses then, but there's coming a time in which they will serve as witnesses to him once again in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. This will be twice fulfilled in the time of the millennium. Let's look at Matthew 19, 28. Matthew 19, 28. Have you ever read this scripture and scratched your head? Matthew 19, 28. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, and he's speaking to the twelve, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, Jesus brings it up, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, that's the thousand-year reign of Christ, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? So he's saying there is coming a time called the regeneration. And when I sit on my throne on this earth as the son of David, as the king, you too, the 12 apostles, which only 11 of them, because one of them present was Judas and he was replaced. Okay? Uh, you 12 will sit on 12 thrones and it will be your job in the regeneration to judge, to be the judges over the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, isn't that cool? All right, now, uh, again, regeneration, it's that same, uh, a new birth, a regeneration, a renewal, a spiritual renovation, specifically messianic restoration, okay? So again, you can do your best to spiritualize or allegorize uh, as much as you want, but this is a very earthy and earthly context in which Jesus was speaking. It's specific about the number of thrones being held by 12 apostles judging the 12 tribes of Israel, which has always described real people judging real descendants of Abraham in a real geographical location. It's always been real. It's always been geography, right? So why now would we spiritualize it? Why now would we try to say, oh, no, the church fulfills that? I'm not sure how the church fulfills that. Do y'all? Can you figure that one out? I can't. So has that happened yet? 
Have we seen the regeneration? Have we seen Christ's return? Have we seen the apostles sitting on 12 thrones? By the way, this is repeated in the New Jerusalem when we see the 12 tribes of Israel scribed on the, uh, both the gates and the pillars. You've got the 12 tribes of Israel on all the pillars and you've got the 12 uh, apostles' names on the gates. So this is something that carries through or it might be vice versa, I don't know. Uh, but either way, they're all, I believe, the, I believe the, the tribes are on the pillars and the apostles are on the gates. That I, that's what I believe, uh, but I'm almost certain of that. So again, has that happened? All right, so this is a literal reference to a restored judicial system. Now, now this is cool. This is not just pulling this out of thin air. This is a, a restored judicial system prophesied in Isaiah 1.26. Isaiah 1, 26, here's what it says. Then I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. And after that, you will be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. Can Jerusalem be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city right now? Can Israel be called this, uh, a, a faithful nation now? No, they're still unrepentant. Okay, but what Isaiah was saying is there's coming a time in the future, a prophecy that says there's coming a time when, the, when the, there will be judges sitting on uh, the, the 12 thrones and Jesus was referencing this very passage when he said that to the disciples. Romans eleven twenty five through 27. Romans eleven twenty five through 27. So now I want to talk a little bit about Israel itself and their unrepentance, okay? Verse 25. Uh, this is Paul speaking. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. Okay? And he calls it a mystery, which means it's something hidden that is yet to be revealed. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation. So don't be a smarty pants. Okay? Don't be a wise guy. The Bible's very clear about this. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until, there's that word again, until, so Israel's partially hardened in their hearts until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Well, okay, well, what in the world is the fullness of the Gentiles? We'll get there. And then it says, verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. Interesting. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So this passage Okay, in Romans, Paul is again echoing the idea that when Israel repents, that when the Lord comes, He will wipe away their sins and the time of regeneration will come. Okay, he's again, Paul's echoing what Peter said in Acts, that it's a future tense thing, that he's not saying it's already been done. And during this time, Israel is unrepentant and the Gentiles who are not a peculiar people will act as God's witnesses in the earth, all right? So here's what basically what happens. Instead of Israel, since they rejected the gospel of the kingdom and they rejected the prophets and they rejected the Son of God and they rejected the Holy Spirit, then God cut them off and pushed pause on that program, on the kingdom gospel for Israel. And then a mystery was revealed, the mystery of the body of Christ, that now God's witnesses in the earth would be the body of Christ, would now be uh, the church that we, as we know it today. And we would have the gospel of grace. 
And that's what we sang about, Amazing Grace, right? I, I was thinking this morning, it's a little side trail here, but I was thinking this morning about that poem that all my aunts and grandmothers had on their wall when I was a kid about called Footprints. And, and it was like, oh, my child, uh, in those times, you were not alone. It was then that I carried you. Let me tell you why that's completely wrong. Because there's never a time that you're walking on your own. He is always carrying you. If he's not carrying you, you're in big trouble. It is by his grace that we go before the Lord boldly and only by his grace, not of anything that you have done or can do to impress or make yourself right with God. He is always carrying us. And that's the grace, the period of grace that we live in, that your sin is covered. And there's nothing you can do to, to change that because it's something that God will do and has done for you when you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's what's amazing about grace. Well, they lived in a different time, whole different thing, okay? Okay, that was a little side trail. Just wanted to mention that. Okay, so right now, the witnesses of, for God on the earth is the body of Christ. That's us, okay? And Israel, as Scripture tells us, is in a time of partial hardening. When the time of the Gentiles comes to an end, the time of the Gentiles is our time to not just the church, the church is the witness, but the time of the Gentiles to trample Israel, to basically practically torture them and try to annihilate them and punish them. And okay, The Bible is very clear about what God would do if and when He cuts them off. But He promises they will not cease to be a people. They cease to be a nation, but they never cease to be a people. So when the time of the Gentiles comes to an end and the Antichrist, globalism, and the tribulation, the tribulation is the fire that will purge and purify Israel and believing Israel will remain going forward into the millennium, okay? When the, after the church is raptured. So the church is done and the church is raptured and taken out of the way and God pushes play again on Israel's program. Okay, he turns his attention back to Israel and then the millennium takes place. All right. So um, look at Deuteronomy 32, 21. I want to point out the song of Moses and I want to point out what um, this is prophecy. This is right before Israel goes into the promised land and Moses doesn't get to go in. And he's prophesying to the people in what's called the song of Moses. And listen to what he says about this. He says in verse 21, again, 32, 21, and, uh, and then verse 35 and 36, I believe is what we're going to cover. They have made me jealous which, with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. Again, worshiping these fallen beings that, that, that pose as false gods, these convenient gods that they've been worshiping. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. So he's telling us way back in Deuteronomy that I'm going to take away, I'm going to cut them off and make them jealous through another people. And that's what Paul was talking about as well in Romans 11. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip for the day of their calamity is near and the impending things are hastening upon them. It sounds terrible. Israel is facing doomsday, right? But then what happens in verse 36? For the Lord will vindicate His people and will have compassion on His servants when He sees that their strength is gone. They have to be completely humbled through the tribulation. 
okay? And there's none remaining, bond or free, meaning there's not one person left who's standing in their own might and power. And what Paul talks about all Israel being saved is that through the tribulation, they are going to be purged and sifted like wheat, and the only ones left, the only people of Israel left, the descendants of Abraham left left at the end of the tribulation are believing Israel, those who have put their faith and trust in God and the work of, of, of Jesus Christ. Not one unrepentant heart in Israel will be left Alive. In other words, if you die during the tribulation and you are of the descendants of Jacob, that means you didn't put your trust in God. Do you understand? So by the end of the tribulation, they will be sifted and purified through the fire of the tribulation. And that language is all throughout Scripture. And again, this is the purpose of the tribulation. And it has nothing to do with the body of Christ. That is why the church will not, the body of Christ will not go through the tribulation. The tribulation has nothing to do with the church. We have grace. Why would God give us grace and then make us go through the tribulation? Why would he beat the dog out of his bride the day before the wedding? That doesn't make any sense, okay? And that's not who he is. All right, but Israel, they rejected God. And so Israel has to go through a period of testing and trial based upon the gospel of the kingdom, not the gospel of grace. Do you understand Everybody, everybody getting this? You might have to watch it a few times. Okay, Revelation 1-7. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, just like he did in Acts, remember? And every eye will see him, as in Daniel 7-13. Even those who pierced him, which is Israel, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Again, Israel's repentance in Zechariah 12, 10-13, and 13-1. And so it is to be. And this is what this is the key right here. It is to be. When this is written, right, in Revelation, it's saying this is going to be coming about. This is something that is future. This is not, it didn't say, and and so it is fulfilled. It's saying, and so it is to be. All right? So the prophecies of both Daniel and Zechariah remain open until there is a future fulfillment the timeline according to Scripture. So let's go to, I think, is my picture next? I'm not sure. Or do I have more Scriptures here? Okay, I guess not. Okay, we'll keep going. We're going to talk about my picture in just a minute. Okay, so as I'm going through some of this, and we'll go back to this. So Jesus ascended and now sits at the right hand of the Father until when? Until Israel repents. Do you guys understand that? Okay, that He's at the right hand of the Father until Israel repents. And when will Israel repent? During the 70th week of Daniel. So there were 69 weeks that Daniel prophesied. And when they rejected, uh, when they rejected the Holy Spirit, again, they were cut off and pause was pushed on the program for Israel. And, the, and so there's a gap between the 69th and 70, 70th weeks of Daniel. All right? Now, uh, again, that tribulation period is the 70th week of Daniel. So when that ensues, known as the time of Jacob's trouble, known as the seven-year tribulation, go to the next slide for me real quick. The, the other, there we go. So this is the period that we're talking about right here, the seven-year, the 70th week of Daniel, okay? And um, before that for Israel is a time that Paul describes in Romans uh, 11, 25. So let's go back to Romans eleven twenty-five. For I do not want you, brothers and sisters, to be uninformed of this mystery, 
Again, you will not be wise in your own estimation. Remember, I'm just reviewing what this said. The partial hardening has to happen until they repent during the time of tribulation. So God hardens them for an allotted period of time. And have they repented yet? Has Israel repented yet? No, they have not. They ceased to be a nation. But, but yet in uh, 1948, they became a nation again, doing something that's never been done in human history. Okay? So, uh, Paul in Romans 11.11, Romans 11.11, he says, I say then, they did not stumble, stumble as though to fall, did they? Meaning, Israel didn't fall for good. God's not done for them, uh, done with them, is He? And he says, far from it. He's not done with them. Paul's making the argument. He's still got a future plan for Israel. But by their wrongdoing, listen to this, by their wrongdoing, salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's us. Thank God they stumbled. Thank God they rejected Him because that offered the gospel to you and I. And if they hadn't, then we would have never seen the gospel. Okay? That's what Paul's saying here. Uh, to make them jealous. And, and so we receive the gospel, and before it's all over with, Israel would be jealous of what we have. So from then on until the culmination in the 70th week of Daniel, Israel will then be trampled by the Gentiles, just as Jesus mentioned, right? He says in Luke 21, 24, Luke 21, 24, he says they will fall by the sword. He's talking about the tribulation here. They will fall, well, no, he's talking about uh, a couple different things, one of which is the very beginning, which was 70 A.D., they will fall by the sword. They will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So he's giving us this timeline. Jesus is laying it out. Peter's referring to the same thing. Paul's referring to the same thing, the same timeline. And it's exactly what happened to Israel when they rejected God. They killed the prophets. They rejected the Son they rejected the Holy Spirit when they murdered those early apostles as they were preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, in my opinion, culminating in that moment, they rejected Stephen. They said we, the kingdom divided against itself. And there was a young man in the crowd, a rising star among the Pharisees, who put out his arms, and as they took their cloaks off to stone Stephen to death, they laid their cloaks in this young man's arms. And his name was Saul of Tarsus. Can you believe this? So their rising star, God says, you kill my guy, I'm taking that guy, and I'm going to raise him up, I'm going to knock him off his donkey before I raise him up, and I'm going to make him the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul begins to preach the gospel of grace, all right? So he made him an apostle primarily to the Gentiles, while the rest of the apostles were focused on the Jews who would believe during that time. And of course, the body of Christ was off and running. Okay, Israel became a house divided against itself. And Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. So you had the leadership, the, the scribes and Pharisees that rejected Christ and rejected the Holy Spirit. And you had the people who were willing to embrace it. But Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. That, that the kingdom can't come until all Israel believes. Do you understand? And so that's what the whole purpose of the tribulation is for. The kingdom and all the fulfillment of all the prophecies were postponed until a time in the distant future. Okay. Um, again, centuries past, the descendants of Abraham 
by the miraculous hand of God returned to their beloved homeland. And on May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. It's never happened, as I said before, to any other nation in human history, but they are still in the period of partial hardening. They still have not accepted Christ, okay? And so we are still in the time of the Gentiles. And the age of grace is being preached, as I said before, by the body of Christ until the rapture. And the end of the church age is the rapture. The end of the church age is when He takes the church, the body of Christ, out of the world and then turns His attention once again to Israel and the gospel of the kingdom ensues, okay? So the job of the body of Christ on earth will be complete at that time, as I said, okay? Um, As I said before, I believe this is the position of the New Testament writers through these passages, this timeline laid out. It was what I believe Jesus taught. It was what Paul and Peter and all of these guys were referring to when they talked about the regeneration. And it was the predominant belief in the body of Christ up until the 5th century. So let's look here. I just want to point out a few things. Um, You have the ascension and Jesus at the right hand of the Father until, until Israel repents. Now, a lot of people get the second coming confused. The second coming is two parts. The second coming is when we, the body of Christ, meet Him in the air. He doesn't set foot on the earth at that time. But that's the first part of the second coming. The second part of the second coming is when He actually returns. And this is when uh, Israel has been through this time. The culmination of the times of the Gentiles referred to as the fullness of the Gentiles. You understand? And then the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet, they are, that's the, that is the time of the Gentiles being brought to a head. Okay? And then at the end of this, uh, all but Satan himself are uh, destroyed, but Satan is cast into the, the bottomless pit. And Satan is left in the bottomless pit, the Bible tells us, for a thousand years during that period of time. Because in Eden... There was no evil being uh, tempting people. So during the thousand-year reign, to reflect Eden, there will be no temptation from fallen spirits. But at the end of that, the Satan will be released once again into the earth, the Bible says, to tempt the nations. They have to face temptation the same way Adam and Eve faced temptation. And guess what they do? A lot of them are, uh, are faithful to the Lord, but many of them rebel against Jesus. The, the perfect, righteous King of kings and Lord of lords. And the whole point of the millennium, like a lot of people ask, well, why not just go to the eternal state? Because Jesus, as the Son of Man, has to fulfill all the prophecies and everything that Adam broke in the garden. There has to be a period of time in which man, the Son of Man, the second Adam, reigns on the earth for that period. And then Paul tells us that at that time, he lays down his authority as a man and hands it all over to the Father, and from that point on, His kingdom reigns forever and ever in the eternal state, okay? We'll talk more about the eternal state and the millennium in the next few weeks. But again, what I wanted you to see is Israel cut off, okay? The fullness of the kingdom postponed until Israel faces tribulation. They go through the time of Jacob's trouble. What was Jacob's name changed to? Israel. They go through the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, the first three and a half years, the middle of the three and a half years, the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, and and then the great tribulation ensues. You have three and a half years on this planet where 
the Satan himself is full force, pouring out his wrath, right? Trying to trick as many humans as he possibly can. You've got the, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet doing their thing. You've got the, filful, uh, the willful, unchecked uh, nature of man unleashed on the earth with no Holy Spirit to restrain them. That's the restrainers taken out of the way, as Thessalonians says. And so you've got Satan's short time, the, the, the sinful nature of man, and the wrath of God being all unleashed on the earth in a three and a half year period of time. And that's why it's referred to as the Great Tribulation. Okay? And also referred to in prophecy as the 70th week of Daniel. The Bible's clear on all of this stuff. If you just read it from cover to cover and, and you study it, you'll see how these things fit together and how Scripture harmonizes. And, and Jesus talked about something and then Peter and Paul talked about the same thing. It all fits together perfectly, okay? And at the end, all repenting Israel is saved. And of course, Christ comes to return uh, as it was in Eden on the earth for a thousand years. We'll talk about that in the coming days. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you are encouraged by the truth of God's Word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's Word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you.